Welcome to Revolutionize Your Retirement Radio, bringing you insights and strategies to help you create a magnificent and fulfilling second half of life. Here's your host, certified professional retirement coach and best-selling author, Dr. Dorian Mincer. I want to welcome everybody today. I'm Dori Mincer, owner of Revolutionize Retirement, and this is my Revolutionize Your Retirement interview with experts to help you create a fulfilling second half of life. I am so delighted today to introduce Betsy Worley. Betsy is Executive Director of the Transition Network, and she's really actually an incredibly wonderful role model for Encore Career. She joined the Transition Network in 2005 after spending 26 years for-profit sector, it's a tongue twister, the for-profit sector, first as a corporate lawyer and then leading business projects at J.P. Morgan Chase. Her volunteer service as president of the Financial Women's Association was the catalyst for her decision to pursue a nonprofit job. And she's also very active at Brooke College's Executives on Campus program as a mentor. She's a regular speaker on transitioning to the nonprofit sector and career transitions in general. Her transition story is featured in a book called What's Next, How to Follow Your Passions to a Fantastic and Fulfilling New Career, which is written by Carrie Hannon, and Carrie's AARP's job expert. And she's also featured in The Big Shift by Mark Friedman, who's founder and CEO of Encore.org. Betsy, I'm so delighted that you are here, and today Betsy's going to be talking about the Caring Collaborative, Transforming Community Goodwill into Practical Help. I wonder if you could start off, and not everybody on the call probably knows about the Transition Network, so this might be a great opportunity to start out by just explaining a little of what your organization's all about. Absolutely, Dory, and thank you so much. I am a huge fan of your series and uh, really congratulate you on bringing so much important information and stimulating ideas to your audience and really a lot of things that people can hear, can take away, and can figure out how does this work in my own life. So thank you. I'm delighted to be here. And in today's program, I'll start by talking about the Transition Network and then about the Caring Collaborative. And as all of you listen in on the phone, part of what I certainly want to do is to help you figure out how can I take the sort of the kernel of what the Transition Network and the Caring Collaborative are about and bring that into situations in your own life because this is really all about revolutionizing your retirement. The Transition Network is an organization that so much reflects the Encore movement. Actually, it was born, we all were whatever, stardust swirling around, and the Transition Network was one of the organizations that coalesced out of that stardust in the late 90s and the year 2000. Our founders were two women who were looking ahead, were in, in jobs where they felt it's time for a change, looked ahead, said, retirement feels like a big empty space, but we're probably going to live to be 90 at least, so we need to figure out how we are going to use this these bonus decades to best effect. So they 
naturally did what women do so well, which is to say, we can't be the only two women in New York City who are thinking about these issues. So our founders each invited five friends, and it really was that group of 12 women in a New York City living room in the year 2000 who started a conversation about life after your main career, and that has grown into the transition network. And first, we deal with many different kinds of transitions, certainly work, but other kinds of transitions. We've also grown, as I think Dory's series makes it very clear, this is such an important topic. So the Transition Network has grown to have 12 chapters nationwide. We have a community of 9,000 women across the country, and we offer programs. So speakers on many different topics, transition and special interest groups. So that's where you are spending time with people up close volunteer activities, and certainly the Caring Collaborative, which is very much an outgrowth of the network that we built and this group of very positive can-do, let's see what has to get done and figure out how to do it, women whom we attract. And one thing I wanted to mention, the Transition Network is our focus is women, and that was the decision of the founders, but certainly the Caring Collaborative is a program that applies to men, women, and men, and could certainly apply intergenerationally as well. And then one other thing I wanted to mention, the Transition Network, you may be thinking about what are the demographics of the group. The median age is about 62, and about half our members are single, half are partnered, and but and about 70% have children. So it's a group where certainly the mix you would expect of married, partnered, and single women and people with children. So I think it really reflects life as we know it today as we look around at all of our friends. So that's the transition network. But now we're going to do a deep dive into the Caring Collaborative, again, a program that transforms this community goodwill into very practical help. Before you go on to that, just one one other comment I wanted to make, because it, it's a wonderful organization, and as Betsy mentioned, there are 12 chapters, but if you're in an area where there's not a chapter, there's still a benefit of joining, because there often are peer groups that can be on the phone, too, and maybe at a later point, Betsy can mention it, but, but it's really a wonderful organization, so I just wanted to put my two cents in. I'm in a, an area where there is now developing a chapter, but I've been a national member up until the chapter's developing, so I would encourage people to explore it. And I was so pleased that you said, Betsy, about that the, what you're going to be talking about, the Caring Collaborative, really is replicable and applicable for men, for intergenerational, wherever you are. All right, now let's do the deep dive you were talking about. about <laughs> Very good. Very good. In any organization, certainly the success of an organization is really depends on having some visionaries and the co-founders of the Transition Network certainly fit that category. They are people who can look at something in their own lives and say, this is an issue for the larger society. This is not just my issue, but this is a big issue. The Caring Collaborative Program 
grew out of exactly that kind of insight on the part of our co-founder, Charlotte Frank. She had a, some routine surgery, which led to some life-threatening complications. And Charlotte is single. She has no children. And she is a, a very energetic person who's friends. I think like most of us, Charlotte's initial reaction was, I can take care of myself. I'm sick. I don't feel well. The last thing I want is people hovering over me. And I bet that sounds very familiar to all of you. But fortunately for Charlotte, her friends were the kind of in-your-face people who did not take no for an answer. So they rallied. They showed up. They cooked special meals. They went with her to the doctor. They went with her to physical therapy. And they really created and supported each other as a community who helped Charlotte get through that illness. Some were Transition Network members, but others were friends from Charlotte's infinite number of past lives. As Charlotte recovered and started to feel better and really reflect on the experience that she had, her first aha moment was, thank goodness for my friends who didn't take no for an answer, but as I think about the people in my life, especially people, let's say, in my age category, a lot of people don't have this kind of network. Even if they have a family, they may not. Their family may be waiting for them to signal. Long story short, Charlotte said, all right, this is certainly this issue of who is going to help me out in a temporary or longer-term health situation was an important issue. And Charlotte's second aha moment was, in the case of the Transition Network, this organization that she had founded seven years before, we've got the network. So we have, in New York City at that time, there were about 500 members of the organization. And these are not people who necessarily were friends. Many of them didn't even know each other. But they had come together to share, to explore, to experience things. So her insight was there's a need for this kind of support, at least from time to time, and we have a network. So let's take the two of those and put them together, and let's create a program where we can enlist our network in helping each other to stay independent, to take care of each other for these uh, needs that are outside the medical system, but no less important. So that was really the genesis of the Caring Collaborative. So what is this Caring Collaborative program that the Transition Network created? It's a peer support program, and our program focuses on health issues. Uh, one could envision programs focused on other topics, but that's that has been our focus. The first is first thing the Caring Collaborative provides is the opportunity to share medical experiences in a local setting. For instance, someone can say, "I'm looking for a podiatrist who accepts Medicare." That would be a classic question. A participant puts that question out to to the network through a coordinator and someone else in the network can say, I have a great person to recommend. So sharing medical experiences is one component. The second is support, in our case, for short-term needs. 
we looked at the current at the transition networks membership and said we know that we can be helpful if someone has a broken ankle if someone needs something in the short term we don't know if we can commit to long term care but but then we began to think what kinds of support would people need when you go to a doctor taking notes somebody to buy groceries Pet care certainly can be an issue. Just changing the litter box could be life-threatening if you have certain short-term problems, uh, things like bill sorting. Part of the development of the program was enlisting participants and making a list of all the things that they might need and make, building that into the program so people can ask for support in any number of areas. And then the third element of the program in the three chapters that offer it is speakers on health topics because, again, we really see this program promoting healthy independence, promoting a positive and proactive approach to our health, and so we want to be as educated as possible about major topics, which might be balance or skin care or any of a number of topics that you could think about. And are the speakers, Betsy, are they in person or do you ever have speakers on health topics that are on the web? People where there isn't a caring collaborative can benefit from it? That's a great question. And I think that is part of where we're evolving. Up until this year, the program has been run in local chapters. And as you see, for instance, the support, especially the support for short-term needs, really is local. So it grew from our local chapters. We've delivered the program locally. But yes, I could certainly envision that we'll start to do webinars so that we can share this great information that will help us stay healthy and independent across the country and not just locally. Thank you. Okay. Uh, uh, the next bullet says our existing community is the starting point. And I think that's one of the concepts that for many of you on the phone, I hope you're already beginning to think about your book club or perhaps a group that's at a synagogue or a church that you're part of or some other group where people know each other, there's a, there's some shared values and certainly a desire to support each other. And so one of the things I'll spend good amount of time on this morning, this afternoon, is what kind of tools you can bring into those groups that will really enable all of you to support each other even better. So we started with our existing community. And as I said earlier, the people in this group, so let's say 500 as a starting point, were not necessarily friends, did not necessarily know each other. So part of what we had to do was create a safe framework for people to ask for help, get help, and support each other. Some of the principles of this group of the Caring Collaborative, which I think are especially applicable with regard to health information. The first is confidentiality, and we have a very strict policy and remind people in, over and over that confidentiality of any information shared in an exchange is absolutely vital. We all need to 
in asking for help or offering our own experiences, you really need to be confident that the people, the person you're talking to understands that this is a very private conversation. So confidentiality is number one. Boundaries, number two, and that is a way of making the exchange of information work well and give everyone confidence in participating. For instance, people are encouraged. Let's say someone puts out a question about, I'm having a double knee replacement. Could I talk to someone who had a double knee replacement? So the person who responds when she contacts the person who wants information would start by saying, I'd be happy. And first, they'd find a convenient time. Second, she'd say, why don't we talk for about half an hour, for instance. And then if you have some more questions, we can follow up. So the idea is that people feel comfortable volunteering and comfortable asking for information. And then the third component, again, very important in a health-related exchange, is that participants share experiences. They don't give medical advice. We all uh, probably have a lot of ideas of things that would help other people, but one of the important rules of the Caring Collaborative is that you are only an expert on your own experience, and that's what you can share. And you can certainly help people think about how they could get information, but do not advise people on what to do. And we did think a lot about liability. I can talk about that at more length if people are interested. But we certainly feel that having people share their experiences is a way to set appropriate boundaries. So this, the Caring Collaborative, I think a shorthand for the Caring Collaborative is the casserole exchange. And typically when I talk about the casserole exchange, there's a big chuckle and we all know the situations where you hear someone is sick and you make your tuna noodle casserole and rush over to our house. And that's a wonderful thing to do and I love tuna noodle casserole. <laughs> what the Caring Collaborative does is to say that instinct is exactly right and let us give you a little bit longer menu of ways that you can help that might be even more valuable to the person you're helping than your casserole. But it is that con that that concept that we're so familiar with of bring food. Okay, but there's more. Good. Many of you, and I bet a lot of people on this call are familiar with the Village Movement, which is a community-based uh, effort to help people remain in their homes, to provide services and support for people. Some of it, some of that can be paid support, but a lot of it is engaging people in an intentional community where the participants agree to ask for help when they need it and to provide the kind of help that they can provide. So this spirit of the caring collaborative is identical to the village movement and I think grows out of those wonderful values of support, of initiative, of making sure that we're taking care of ourselves, not waiting for someone else to do it for us. 
I'm, uh, what I'd like to do, Dory, is cover, there's one more element that I'd like to cover and then open up for questions, unless okay. anyone has a burning question. Then I just wanted to comment that it, we, you were saying it's a lot in common with the village movement. I totally agree. And it's also um, a lot in common with that lots of helping hands, which yes. um, which is another vehicle um, just for people to be aware of. I know because uh, we don't have a caring collaborative here, although, as you say, the temple I belong to has a caring community, but often... I'm just thinking of an example where one of the moms at my son's school uh, was quite ill and having surgery and she had cancer. And it's so important to not be alone and have people be able to see all the different ways to help. It's such an essential part of life and knowing we're a village to each other. I just wanted to comment on that. Thank you. Yes, I think that is extremely important. And then after five years of offering the local program with information, with support services, and with speakers, the Transition Network looked at the Karen Collaborative Program, looked at the fact that we had grown to 12 chapters, to people in pretty much every state, and said, we'd love to take the benefit of this program and see what we could do nationally that doesn't require uh, a lot of people in a local area. And what we came up with was taking one component of the program, which is the information exchange, and offering that to members across the country. We've just launched the National Member Information Exchange, or MIX, and that, again, taps into the member network to share personal health experiences. So it could be conditions, it could be rehab experiences or treatments. So again, as in the situation I I mentioned earlier, a local situation where someone was asking about a podiatrist who takes Medicare, if we translate that to a national setting, as you see here, a member in, now with the National Mix Program, a member in Santa Fe can send an email to our coordinator saying, I need to go on a gluten-free diet. Is there someone I can talk to about that? And a member in Chicago can respond to that request and say, absolutely, I'm, I would be delighted to share my experience of the last couple of years. So the concept of a network of people who commit to supporting each other by being available to answer questions and share experiences uh, is, I think, many of us are part of that kind of network, and the Caring Collaborative can offer tools to help you get that started. In launching the National Member Information Exchange Program, we thought about a couple of things. One is we do hold an orientation webinar to help people understand how does the program work and what are the rules, so the confidentiality, the boundaries, the sharing of experiences, so everyone is comfortable as she starts into the program. And the Transition Network uses a paid national coordinator to run the program because we felt that would ensure that information got routed in a timely way. That said, 
all of these programs could certainly operate with volunteers, and we can talk about that as well. This is such a wonderful addition, Betsy. It's wonderful to hear about it. It is, and I think I I bet many people in the audience have reached a point in their lives, I know I have, where whenever I have a, a question or a problem to solve, the first thing I think of is, who can I talk to about this? Now, I'm not going to the Internet. I'm not going to the Yellow Pages. But surely there's somebody out there who can help me with this. And so this, that the National Mix program taps into the Transition Network's network in an effective way to help you get answers to your health questions. So we're very excited about that. And then next we have an audience question, so why don't we go to that? And I do have some questions from the audience too, but why don't we... Do you want to ask the question and while people are responding to it, then I can come up with the ones that we already have. Absolutely. So the question is, are you a member of a group that could benefit from some of the caring collaborative tools? Three options, yes, no, or maybe. Not sure I would like to know more. So again, we're happy to, so especially if you are part of a group and are trying to think, how could this program, a program like this, fit with my group, please feel free to send Dory a note and we'll talk about that. Okay, great. And let me, there are two questions I have here so far. One is from Bruce, who's in Massachusetts, and he first it's a comment, which is, he said, this is great and very practical, communitarian idea. I love that term. Are you, and he is wondering, are you aware of Janice Lynch-Schuster's efforts to create a caregiver corpse? Do you think a full-scale caring collaborative or mix would preempt the need for a caregiver corpse? And he just wondered if you had spoken with Lynn Schuster's and would you be willing to? It sounds like what you've learned through the Caring Collaborative might be of significant value to the formation of a caregiver corpse if it ever gets off the ground. Any thoughts? I'd love to know more about it. I don't. I'm not familiar with the caregiver corps. Thank you for mentioning that, Bruce, and I'd love to follow up. Great. Okay. And Sarah from California wondered, since she said, it sounded like you said that the transition network's the basis of mix, but she wondered, is there a way to integrate men into that mix? (laughs) Literally. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I think the starting point is if you have a group, um, just, and the group is willing, is open to, Exchanging information to, you know, receiving a question and offering to provide information if you have relevant information. That's really all it takes. I think a co-ed group or a men's group for that matter, if there's an alumni association, for instance, could work very well. Oh, what a good idea. And Sarah, again, from California, responded to your question of, are you a member of a group that could benefit from a caring collaborative? And she says, absolutely, yes, that it would be extremely useful for groups of solo agers, those without adult children, which is an area that Sarah's quite involved with. Terrific. Sarah, sounds like we should connect directly, and I'd love to talk more. And the Transition Network has a longstanding caring collaborative group in the East Bay. And I know they'd also be delighted to talk to you about their 
activities and share experiences with you. It's great. The networking is already starting. I would expect nothing less <laughs> on your on your call, Dory. Great. So we talked so far. I've really talked about a specific program, how it developed some individual examples, but of course it's also important to get up higher above the specifics and look at the larger implications. As we all know, uh, our healthcare world today is very focused on acute issues and it's a transactional system that once they've solved the immediate problem, you're on your own. And that's so leaving all of us really needing to fend for ourselves in certain cases, um, certainly if we're single and don't have children, but I can comment from experience in New York City that even people with children who live four blocks away, uh, even people with partners have used the Caring Collaborative Services and found them to be quite helpful to supplement what your family might do. So the program really connects informal communities that you may be part of with formal medical care. And I think especially in the the big interaction, the big request we see locally is people asking for someone to go with them to a doctor visit if they're if they have a number of questions, if they're expecting a diagnosis that may be difficult to have someone there as a note taker and even someone who can help you develop a list of questions, make sure those questions are answered. That's enormously valuable and that's probably the closest interaction that most caring collaborative members have in with the formal med- medical system. In being willing to help each other in such important ways. People build bonds with each other, and that, as we all know, has great health outcomes and certainly combats sense of isolation and sense of really not knowing who would I call with the Caring Collaborative Program. You know how you would start to get help. A little bit on how to get started. And one of the great accomplishments of the Caring Collaborative in its early days was getting funding from the New York State Health Foundation. And that allowed the program to develop, not only to do a pilot, but to develop three manuals. And those manuals are available at no charge at the ttncaringcollaborative.org link on the website. The first is the steps to developing a caring collaborative and everything from day one, a group of people sitting around a table saying, this sounds like a great idea, to launching the program and managing the program. And then two other, we've developed two other manuals. One is on creating a vertical village. And as the program launched in a very urban area where We can live in buildings with a couple thousand people. And so Charlotte Frank lives in that kind of a building. And so she helped create a guide that said, let's put the the transition network to one side. We have our own built-in community with a staff, with neighbors, 
let's create the tools that would allow us to help each other. So we are a community. Let's enable each other as a community. And then the third is what to know when you go to the hospital. And I think that's a great general reference. Always a stressful period with many unknowns. The more information you have, the better. Such great resources. And I, I, just interestingly, I just recently was talking with somebody who's in New York who's creating a vertical village hmm. in her apartment building, and it's, it makes it intergenerational. And she's in a co-op and seeing who's interested or not and really trying to set up this kind of caregiving. I'm going to make sure she knows about this resource. She probably does, but she might not. So I'm going to That's terrific. And again, I think that shows the idea of we have a community of some kind This program gives you tools and ideas and ways to support each other and even things like an agreement that people can use about what they're committing Mm -hmm. to, orientation materials. So it exactly, it can spin off into many directions. I need, I have an infant and I need to go to the grocery store. Can I be comfortable inviting a neighbor to come in for half an hour while I go to the grocery store? Amen. So that's great. The New York City pilot and results. And I'm going back to the beginning because, again, I think the wheels probably are turning for a number of you. So how did this actually get started? Charlotte had her illness and then her important insights, but then it would had to come to a concrete, practical life from there. So she began by putting a group together and holding focus groups. And again, this is all in the How to Create a Caring Collaborative Manual. So there are a couple of scenarios presented to that to those focus groups. One was, so one example was if you broke your wrist, what kind of support you would you need? And it had a list of different potential kinds of support, and then who would you ask to provide that support? And one of the kind of amusing and sad insights was even the women in the group who were married, about many of them for decades, um, when asked to choose between asking your spouse or your children for support and paying for help, a surprisingly high percentage said, I would rather pay for help than ask for help. So we said, all right, we we now understand that getting people to ask for help is going to be one of the going in challenges that we need to think about. And and that's an important insight because you can get a group together, you can have people be excited about supporting each other, but what really makes it work is that people actually ask for help. And so there's some ways that we address that. As I mentioned, the manuals that were developed thanks to the New York State Health Foundation talk about all these issues and how to get started, how to get people started asking for help. And in our, in the New York City situation, again, that was 2007, and that was at a time when time banking was, I think, really becoming a very popular, intriguing idea for a lot of people. So we built that into the first pilot for the Caring Collaborative, the idea that people would get credit if they asked for help, and they would get credit certainly if they volunteered. And we did find in the early stages that giving people credit if they asked for help 
was one way to overcome that barrier of, oh, I can't ask, I wouldn't ask someone I don't even know to help me because people could see with the time bank that they were part of a community and that they were asking for help actually made the whole thing work. So that did overcome that reluctance of people to ask for help and and got things rolling. Then what happened was the New York City group also created neighborhood groups that meet regularly, say with 15 people, because people got to know each other locally and formed true friendships. Uh, the idea of having to report and account time in a time bank started to become very cumbersome. But we found, at least in a fairly large group, that was a helpful way to overcome the initial reluctance for people to say, could someone come over at 4.30 and bring groceries? And here's my grocery list. Mm-hmm. I have an audience question coming up next. Okay. And, of course, I'm happy to take general questions. The audience question is, to the extent that any of you are thinking about a program with a group that you may be part of, would you, are you interested in a little more and having me flesh out the time banking concept a little more. I haven't and heard I guess, from anybody okay. on that yet, but I think that would be great if you could flesh it out a little bit more. Sure. Um, the one other comment that is also from Bruce, so it's a little uh, off track of this, but just to mention that he thought it might be worth mentioning too that separate from the transition network, the life planning network has a relatively new book called Live Smart After 50. And there's a chapter in particular that has great help for caregivers. He just wanted to mention that to any of the listeners in case you're interested in an additional resource. Thank you. That's wonderful. And I think the more we can share resources and make people aware of all the resources the better off we'll be. Bruce, thank you for bringing in other other wonderful books and organizations to this discussion. And I can just tell you there are a couple of a few people who've responded and said yes. Please flesh out more details on time banking. Okay, time banking has, I guess I'd say, really three pieces. Um, the first piece, which is dry and seemingly uninteresting, is uh, some tool that allows you to track the time. And that could be as simple as a spreadsheet for a small group, or it could be something significantly more elaborate. There are some commercial time banking systems on the market. And uh, so I think that's a whole topic in itself. And I would encourage anyone to go to some websites, ideally have someone with a little bit of technical sense be part of that discussion. But there are time banks out there, most of which are, many of which are quite inexpensive. So part one is where what, what holds the information about the participants, about their involvement with the program, perhaps other background information. The second part is uh, the the flow of information. So in the case of the Caring Collaborative, if if someone said, I, I would like to have someone who could 
do grocery shopping for me and I'll be home on Tuesday afternoon. Here's my list. So number one, you have to have a system of rules that the person who asks for the grocery shopping gets a credit in the time bank. The person who does the grocery shopping gets credit for the time she spends. And the New York City group also decided that, for instance, attending programs would give people credit. Attending other more social activities would give people credit. In essence, they set up a series of rules about how what activities would trigger a credit to the system and how much credit people would get. And then the third, of course, is a person who is the link between the tool and all the activity and who captures the activity and puts it in the spreadsheet or the database. So those are all important parts. In theory, one role of a time bank is it can be like a bank account where in theory you could say to people, you have debits but no credits. So you're overdrawn and you don't get any more service. That certainly was never the intention of our program. Our program was really to just track people's usage of the system. The one, to give you an analogy in a different sort of period of life, the one area where I know time banks have worked extremely well is babysitting co-ops. Situations where young parents need help with babysitting for their kids, others volunteer, you're creating a group effort and trust. And my understanding is in those situations, you did absolutely reach a point where if you had too many debits and no credits, you were not getting any babysitting help. Mm-hmm. So that's those are some of the time bank concepts. It's like a big account of names and activity and one can look at it in different ways to track the program, to track who's using and giving service. Perhaps you could recognize people who are especially active. So I'm going to pause there because I know we have a couple more things to cover, and I want to be sure to respect the time. And let me just real quickly, though, just a comment from Carol, who's in Long Island, and she's somebody who's part of the Transition Network, and she just wanted to comment that they started out in Long Island with a time bank, but found that people were interested in helping without getting credit. And they were they kept being asked, do we have to bank time to use time? And they were told, of course not, but we'd expect you to give back when you can. And somehow that seemed to work. So I just wanted to share that. That was uh, an experience from starting with a time bank and then deciding, that, or the group deciding that they didn't need it so or want it. Um, just wanted to throw that in. <laughs> yes, that's great. And uh, kudos to Carol. She has led that program for five years, and she's also a great resource. Why don't we go on to the New York City program today, and I'm just going to give you a quick snapshot. Today, the New York City group has about 250 participants. It does have a paid coordinator because that becomes a pretty high volume of people to bring on and manage. And across the group, we get about 400 service requests a year. So that equates to several service 
between service and information requests a week. And so that's, it's certainly, we are constantly reminded that we're part of the program. We can offer to do something if we have the time or the experience to share, but it's not an overwhelming program. And that started with a time bank. It's no longer in use. One of the things I think a big lesson from New York City is with a relatively healthy audience, you need to keep reminding people that they're part of the group in many different ways, including programs and communications, newsletters, so that people remember, yes, I did sign up for this, and I'm I'm glad I'm part of it. It's like an insurance policy that I hope I don't have to use, but I know it's there. And then moving on, our Long Island and East Bay programs. So we have two other programs, and I think a great element of the Transition Network Caring Collaborative is New York City is very vertical and dense. Long Island and the East Bay in San Francisco are the opposite. So they're very horizontal, and those have smaller groups of people. They're run by volunteers. and uh, each one demonstrates that with a group of people who are committed to each other in a reasonable geographic area, this program can work very well. And they all use the same tools, they use the same framework, but the day-to-day -day experience is different. And I'm going to close with some lessons from our learning, but we're going to go to four years later, we've learned. First, that once you have an existing community, the Caring Collaborative offers great ways for people to help each other. And we talked earlier about the casserole exchange. One of the things you'll see in the PDF is an attachment with a list of different support activities. The second is for local efforts, geography is destiny. And so a group in the East Bay works well within, say, a 20 to 30 mile radius. If people had to support people in San Francisco, that just might not work as a practical matter. But again, we've pulled out the information exchange and made that available nationally. Third lesson is regular reminders about the program, keep people engaged. So they're healthy, they're maybe not hearing much from others. Keep reminding them that it's out there and we welcome your participation. Success is definitely a team effort with a coordinator, with volunteers, creating social activities, the speaker bringing in speakers and telling, reminding people about the program. And finally, uh, we would certainly say the time bank is a mixed blessing can be good to get you off the ground, but that becomes an administrative effort in itself. And Dory, see if we have any final questions. We, we do. We have well, a, one comment first from Victoria, who's part of the uh, New York City Time Bank, and, and what she commented on was that they found in New York was that the Time Bank Time Bank ended up, after time, adding a layer of reluctance to ask for help for those who didn't have any credits. And in reality, anyone who asked gets. That was just her comment. And then mm. Mary from California 
comment and a question. She just said, thank you, Betsy, for your presentation. The topic raises the value for all of us on the call to consider what our plan B would be if we ran into a temporary or a long-term condition. That meant we couldn't carry out the kind of normal routines. And her question, which I think you answered, but maybe it would be good to reiterate, is she wondered if individuals who aren't current members of the transition network can accept, can access the caring, collabor caring collaboration material. Yes, absolutely. The material is available on our website, and it's available to anyone who wants to download it. So it's out there. In fact, we're delighted that Helen Dennis is part of this wonderful positive aging world in, and runs Project Renewment in Southern California. And a couple of her renewment groups have taken the Caring Collaborative Manual and are using it in groups of 12 to 15 women to, again, as, as some great tools so they can support each other more effectively. So we'd, we would be thrilled to find that there's more and more activity and these manuals are a springboard. That's so great. And Carol from uh, Long Island also just wanted to go on record of, as saying that the Long Island chapter now has close to 90 members and they're growing. Ah. I know you had a summary that maybe if we want to, are you okay going over just a couple minutes? That's sure. Is that all right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Those so far are the questions. I just think this is so valuable for all of us. Oh, and Sarah has said, Thanks, Betsy. She's going to be in touch with regard to her solely project. Just wanted to share that. Maybe you could take, before I pull things together and remind people about next month, I know you have a summary of what people need to keep in mind if they're thinking about building a caring collaborative in their community. Yes. I think the, first of all, I would encourage everyone just to take a look at the transition network as a whole, especially those who weren't familiar with the organization, uh, because that network really is the basis, was the seedbed for the Caring Collaborative. And I hope that all of you will have some ideas leaving this call about how to bring these tools into groups that you're part of. Some, For instance, your book group could agree to help each other with doctor visits. Just another item on the menu where people who are friends can support each other, or a group at your synagogue could organize friendly visits and grocery shopping. And Dory, I think you mentioned that. So some of the really the key things to keep in mind, one is to think about who are the stakeholders, so who are the participants, and is there some staff involved, either as part of an organization or in another way. I think the second is to really get a team in place to think through how the program will work and that team will be the core that helps everything get off to a good start. Third, really think about privacy, staffing, funding, if you're going to have any paid support and will you track people's participation in some way and then the liability concerns, which we believe can be dealt with through disclosure, through orientation sessions, and through having people sign an agreement about their participation. And our experience in each 
of our three caring collaborative programs has been that the program got off to a fairly slow start and people looked at each other a little bit and said, when is this going to get rolling? But uh, inevitably it did. And it's been a wonderful, inspiring, engaging, and very uh, positive experience for people to participate, to be open to supporting others. And we really think that's, again, that's a great aspect of our age cohort and this stage of life is that we're ready to provide the support. We just need some help knowing exactly how to do it. And you so beautifully are, are giving the guidelines of how to do it because I think what you've said that's so wonderful is that probably most of us are in different kind of groups or communities where we really could use some of this wonderful guidance and help establish this. It really does take a village always. <laughs> it does so much more as we get older. So it's, it's great. And I just want to say Carol also from Long Island just echoes what I was just saying too. What a wonderful overview of the caring collaborative and just, you know, it's such an excellent presentation and says, thank you. I know you had another audience question. Maybe you could just mention, because I think just helping people think about what might be some of the problem areas or challenges in launching it, it might just be good if you would yes. mind. Yes, terrific, Jory. So I'm following your lead. Thank you. Thank yep. you for leading me so effectively. Yes, and this may be up on the screen. In thinking about others, and we've the Transition Network has talked to a number of different organizations who had an interest in taking the tools and translating them into their own context. And we've really seen probably five different things that are people need to think about at least in getting started. One is the leadership for the program. So people certainly, we've got people from our Long Island program and our New York City program on the call today. So people with a vision, people with passion, to make these connections, to make it work. That's really number one. I think a second is a perceived need for this support. So again, the leadership can have that vision and I think can then communicate effectively. Oh, yes, you do need, yes, you would be better off if you were participating in this program. Uh, third is building trust among participants. We've talked about some kinds of groups, for instance, a synagogue, a church, a book group, where there's a good amount of trust. Other groups may be coming together on a different basis. So how do you, you need to think about how to engage people in supporting each other. And that may be a situation where understanding and setting boundaries may be a key ingredient to getting a program off the ground. Another factor is geography, and that's especially important for providing personal services, personal support. And we've, uh, the Caring Collaborative has worked best when the people leading the program defined a geographic area. And then as the program grew, the area can grow as well. But it has to be an area that makes sense to the participants. And then the last part is, in order for people to feel that the program is successful, you need dedicated support to receive requests, to sign people up, to hold orientations, 
to receive requests, to uh, circulate those and share information back with the requester. So uh, you do need someone who can think through how would that process work and then actually get it going and make sure that it's going smoothly. So I think those are some of the key activities of launching a group. And the manual covers those at one level. And then, as always, the devil is in the details. But as we said, it's a it's an extraordinarily valuable program once you get it going. And always good to know going in, here are the things we need to think about. This is so helpful and fabulous. I really know I speak for everybody on the call or who will be listening to the recording that it just provides such a a fabulous model because we all do need to think, as Mary said in her question, about Plan B because they're curveballs that we're all going to experience in life and to have a, to be part of some network so that we know that we can both help others but that when we need it that there'll be people there helping us too. So it's such a wonderful model. I'm so pleased that you've been able to be with us today. I just also wanted to compliment you. You've done such a wonderful job in your leadership role with the Transition Network. And many people may know, or some people may know, and some not, that Betsy actually is going to be stepping down in July, really feeling like it's time for her next encore. And I, I just know that all of us are thankful that you've been at the helm for as long as you have. And your legacy is the way that you've helped the Transition Network grow and the chapters now across the country, and and it will continue with you in spirit with all of your hard work. So I just really wanted to compliment you, and if we all could take a glass to toast you (laughs) for your wonderful leadership and legacy. And and I'm hoping people will be in touch if there are questions. Betsy's contact information is with the handout. It's Betsy at the transitionnetwork.org. And as she said, the materials are available for anybody. So I think it's just the creativity that we all need to really think about how do we work within our own existing communities. It could be through the Transition Network if you're part of a chapter and if it's not there yet, but it it can be, as we've heard, through so many different vehicles, whether it be book groups, renewment groups, alumni associations. It's it's wonderful to be creative and thinking about all that. So I just want to thank you so much. Let me just quickly mention, and then we'll see if Betsy would like the last word. Any final takeaways that you'd like to share, uh, Betsy? I just, again, want to thank you again. But any final kind of little takeaways you'd like people to have? I would. And I'm grateful. I'm humbled by your comments. And I will certainly say, I think, uh, next, the concept of the generative generation is so apropos. It's so much what the Transition Network is about. It's so much what the Caring Collaborative is about. My role has really been to help create structure and support the ideas of a couple thousand members around the country, the Caring Collaborative leadership. They really have done most of the work, but it's been wonderful to support them and provide an environment where their ideas can be successful and that's what's grown the organization. And I think as with your programs, the appetite for 
support for learning for making this a very positive period of life is infinite and we're at only at the beginning and so it's been wonderful to be part of it and I certainly look forward to continuing that in some other way but really have to thank the Transition Network members who are the ones who continue to make the organization what it is today. Thank you and your work has been wonderful and I should mention too or maybe do you want to mention the book that came out from the Transition Network just in case people don't know about it? Sure, thank you. You get bonus points for that. Our <laughs> Yes, one of the Transition Network's contribution to the literature on this period of life is Smart Women Don't Retire, They Break Free. And that's a book with a great combination of stories and expert advice to take you from that it's time for a change moment where you start to think, this isn't working for me anymore, to finding the next thing that will be fulfilling and includes some practical advice about what your options might be and also some important chapters, one of which is, why is my spouse driving me crazy? <laughs> and uh, since you're going in one direction and your partner may not be going that direction. So a little bit of friction. And then also about the the need to consider friendships at this stage of life, sometimes make new friends, sometimes get rid of toxic friends who take energy. The book really touches on a number of important subjects. And again, it's about breaking free and looking at what is going to create meaning and satisfaction in these terrific years. Great. And I can attest to it. It's a terrific book. So I really recommend that people buy it and read it. And again, to remind you that the Transition Network is, is a, a national uh, organization founded in New York, but with now 12 chapters. But even if there's not a chapter, you still can join. There's a nationwide um, membership. And maybe you'll get involved in being able to create a chapter where you live, which would be great. And I know that if you are interested in that, that the Transition Network will help you. Not only do they help give guidelines for developing the Caring Collaborative, but they can also be helpful in helping you develop a chapter. <coughs> Amen. And, yes. And so I'll just mention if, if people, uh, or if you're interested in starting a chapter, uh, there's information on our website, or you can send a note to info at the Transition Network. All of those are different pathways to to the same result, which is the response and support. Great. And maybe some of the men who are listening in can do a parallel creation of developing a Transition Network for men. I think it would be terrific. Um, and the model's here. <laughs> Plug in for that, too. So. But thank you again, Betsy. This was really terrific, and I appreciate your willingness also to stay on a little bit longer and to just finish the thinking, and I'm hoping that all of you on the call will will think about how you can use some of this material and perhaps in your own community help establish a caring community, a caring collaborative, and what's so wonderful is we don't have to reinvent the wheel, that there's these wonderful resources available to help people to create this very supportive and important structure, I think, for all of us as we get older. 
Thank you all for being here. And Betsy, thank you so much for a wonderful presentation. It was terrific. Thank you. My pleasure. And thank you all for joining us. You've been listening to Revolutionize Your Retirement Radio with Dr. Dorian Mincer. To learn more about the resources mentioned on today's show, listen to past episodes, or download our free retirement transition guide, visit revolutionizeyourretirementradio.com.